So we are uh, finishing up uh, a short series that we've been doing coming out of Jeremiah chapter 6. We've been looking at verse 16 that says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. And so we started two weeks ago looking at this passage and, and the big thing was we have to be careful because naturally as human beings, as the sinful little buggers that we are, we naturally drift from the path that God has placed us on. And when we do that, we miss the thing that God designed us for, rest for our souls. We are meant to walk a path that God has placed before us and as we walk it to experience his presence and his rest. But so many of our lives are marked by anxiety and worry and busy and hurry. And we are missing out on the rest that God desires for us, which should be an indicator that we've drifted from the path. Remember this? Okay. So last week, we looked at the need for repentance. God is actually calling them here for a change in direction. The Christian word we have for that is to repent. I was walking this way away from God. He convicts my heart and I repent. I turn back toward him. And God was crying out to his people. In the rest of Jeremiah 6, he's telling them, I'm going to send you off into captivity. I'm going to bring the fruits of your own schemes down on your head. Like it's, it's this doom and gloom passage, but there's this ray of sunshine right in the middle of the chapter where he says, but if you will stop and look, If you will ask for the ancient paths, ask for the good way and walk in it, we we can avoid all this. You can find rest for your souls. He's calling them to change course. Recognize that you have drifted and now do something about it. Stop and ask. Seek the good way and walk in it. Repent. And so last week we looked at, at the areas in our lives where God may be calling us to repent to realize I'm at the crossroads, I'm at a place I shouldn't be. It's time to change direction and to move back toward him, to move back toward the path that he has placed us on. We must repent and we must change course if we're going to receive the rest that he promises and that we desperately need. And it reminds me of teaching we're going to look at this week. In the New Testament, Jesus teaching his disciples in Matthew chapter 11, and he says this, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How many of you have memorized this passage before? You know it real well. Like most of us, this is not our first time hearing this passage But here's what I'm going to tell you, a little behind the curtain uh, into who I am. This passage has haunted me my entire life with Jesus. I read this and I don't find comfort. I find, dang it, I've never actually experienced this. Not certainly in the way that he desires for me. I read this and it's just that reminder that something is missing. It, It doesn't click with me. I know that it's true. I believe that it's true. But it reminds me again that I have drifted from the path. That I have not yoked myself to Jesus in the way that he has commanded me because I don't experience light and easy. As I was thinking through this week, I was thinking if I was going to write this, this teaching of Jesus, what would it sound like? Here's from my own experience, and this is admittedly 
stinking thinking. It's a wrong way to look at it. But this I would be comfortable with. If Jesus said, when you come to me, life will get hard. You'll have anxiety about doing the right thing, and you'll feel perpetually guilty because you know that you've messed up. You will be convinced that I'm disappointed in you, and this will cause you to keep a safe distance from me, but do the best you can. This is a reflection of how I view my relationship with God. Things are hard, and I'm kind of always going, I know, I did it again, I messed up. I... And so when I read, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest, there's part of my heart leaps for joy, and I long for it, but I'm also aware that I've never truly experienced it like I think he wants me to experience it. Take up my yoke and learn from me. I'm gentle and humble in heart. When I tend to look at God, and I don't know about you guys, I'm just simply speaking for myself, I don't think he's so gentle and humble with me. I think he's probably real disappointed and probably mad at me. I know I would be. The way that I view him is not the way that he desires me to view him. You will find rest for yourselves. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. I don't know about you guys, I don't experience that very often, and it's a telling sign that I've drifted. I, I'm, I'm doing things in my own strength, I'm wandering my own path, and therefore I'm devoid of the things he promises. Rest. So let me, let me ask you guys, truly, I would love to learn together, what does the easy yoke and the light burden look like? I think Jesus was offering a very real thing. It wasn't just some pie in the sky. He was actually offering this to his people. And it's not something I've experienced very often. I, I, I'll say this. I'll take this one off the table. Easy yoke, light burden doesn't mean everything is unicorns and rainbows. Everything is perfect. You never hit a, a bump in the road. That's not what he's promising. Because he tells you in this world you will have trouble. He promises both that we will experience trouble but that we can find rest and experience an easy yoke and a light burden. What does this look like in the life of a believer? Miss Linda. The, the yoke itself implies, and we'll talk about this here in a little bit, they would have all gotten this immediately, two animals yoked together. Not one off there working real hard by itself trying to do it, but there was two. And Jesus is going, yoke yourself to me. Take on my yoke, and I'll teach you how to do this. So it looks like walking closely with Jesus, okay? Easy yoke, light burden. What's it look like? Okay. Okay. It looks like childlike obedience and trust, David said. Tim? So it, this, this easy yoke and light burden looks like being able to receive his grace and mercy. Not, many, most of us know about it up here. We could quote some verses and we could explain it to somebody. 
but to actually be able to receive his grace and his mercy. Colin? Yeah, there, there's something in that, that trusting that he's carrying the weight. He's, he's the one doing the heavy lifting. So often we approach it as if it's all on me and I got to get it right. And I got to, we talked about this some in week one. Part of this easy yoke and light burden is, is the trust in him that he has a plan. Like I, I remind myself often, and if I've prayed with you about something going on in your life in the last couple of years, I've probably prayed something like this. Lord, I recognize that you're on your throne and you're not nervous about any of this. Like you have this, and therefore I don't need to worry. The the yoke becomes easier, the burden becomes lighter. For many of them, they grew up following the law. Mm-hmm. I think this is also a way to say yeah. following me is not Sure. Every time Jesus would talk about the law, especially the way that the Pharisees would teach the law, he would say, you're you're tying stones around people. You're giving them weights too heavy to carry. And then he would accuse them and say, you're not doing a single thing to help them lift it. Every time he talked about the law, it was always this weight you can't pick up, this this bowed back thing crushing you. And so part of it was Jesus going, I've got a very different way. And it's different from do what I say or else, The, the, the weight and the burden that comes from that. We oftentimes we we read the story of Jesus and we he fed four thousand people and we go I want to do that, but then we read well he went up onto the mountainside alone and prayed and he woke up early he went to that and we go ah. 
if it works, I'll try it, you know. But part of this taking on his yoke, and exactly like Miss Linda was saying, like, we, we are in this thing together, is I do the things that he did. Not just the big and the miraculous and the crazy, but even just in his devotion, in the way that he went about his relationship with his father, part of this easy yoke and light burden is going, I'm just going to do the things that Jesus did. Even the everyday things. Maybe the miraculous things, if that's what he wants for me, but I'm going to walk like he walked. And in doing so, experience the lightness and the ease. One of the things that as I have been looking at this and, and truly asking why don't I experience these things. Again, I could, we could all teach on, well, his grace and receiving mercy and, and what it should, but why don't I actually experience these things? For me, what it's come down to, and maybe this is for some of you too, an easy yoke and a light burden looks like not being weighed down by responsibilities I was never meant to carry. Far too often, the reason that my yoke is difficult and my burden is heavy is because I'm trying to carry things that I was never meant to carry. I'm trying to do things I was never asked to do. When he says, take up my yoke and learn from me, exactly like some of you had pointed out, they would have immediately thought of two oxen being yoked together to plow a field. And what they did in that situation was they took an older, mature ox, one who knew the ropes and knew what he was doing, and they would partner him with some young stud who had all the energy in the world but was dumb as a box of rocks. We're the young studs uh, in this scenario. And Jesus says, if you will take my yoke, if you will yoke yourself to me, I will teach you how to walk. When they would pair this young ox with this mature ox, the mature ox, he knew the pace. Because I, we're not just trying to get to the end of the row. We're plowing all day. And if we start sprinting and running ahead and, ooh, we're excited about this and we're excited about that, we're toast. He knew how to walk in a straight line. This is the path that we walk, where the young ox was, ooh, that's shiny, let's go check that out. Or, oh, I found a shortcut, let's do this. And the mature ox was there to train him and to teach him. This is the pace, this is the path. If you will walk with me, you'll learn how to do this well. You'll learn how to get the job done and still be alive at the end of the day. These young ox would work themselves to death until they were useless, not to mention the crooked path, you know, that they had taken to get there. And the farmer understood we have to yoke them together so the young one can learn from the older one, the, the more mature one. In that scenario, who's really doing the heavy lifting? The young, strong, like crazy ox or the older, slower-paced, mature one? Who's really doing the work? The older one, the mature one. He's got to put up with this guy next to him, but he keeps the line straight and he teaches the pace. He's the one actually doing the pulling. He's kind of more putting up with the younger guy as he grows and matures. And Jesus says, look, this is what it is to walk with me. If you will take my yoke on you, I will teach you to walk. If you will learn from me, he says, I will teach you to walk the path that God has for you at the pace that God has for you. Much like, like Kim was saying, Jesus understood this because he had spent time with the Father. He would wake up early in the morning, and we all know those stories. And here's how Jesus described where he learned to pull the plow. He says, very truly, I tell you in John 5, the son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees the father doing. 
Because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Jesus says, I've yoked myself to the Father. I watch what he does and I do the same thing. In the same way, yoke yourselves to me. This is more than just each day going, all right, Lord, help me make it through. But truly, okay, Lord, what are you up to today? And how do I partner with you? What are you calling me to pick up today? And how do I put the rest down? I want to yoke myself to you. I want to move on your path at your pace every day. Teach me to walk like this, that I could experience rest, an easy yoke, a light burden. Paul put it like this in Galatians chapter 5 after he was talking about the fruits of the Spirit, which becoming like God in all of this, his character. He says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit, which means not running up ahead, not lagging behind, not going to the right or the left, but to stick with the Holy Spirit, to allow him to lead us. And our job is to simply keep in step. Where he goes, we go. At the pace he goes, that's our pace. This is not always an intuitive thing. How to kind of set down those responsibilities that aren't ours and only pick up the... It doesn't always follow some logical line that you can kind of predict beforehand. It truly takes dependence on the Father. There's a story very early in Jesus' ministry in Mark chapter 1 where Jesus is going around and he's, uh, he's preaching and he's beginning to heal the sick And so he finds himself in this one town in Capernaum and and everyone's flocking to him. Like whatever it looks like, dozens of people, hundreds of people, whatever, coming to the house where he's staying and, and seeing miracles and all this. That's day one. Day two begins with Jesus going up onto the mountainside and let's follow the story. Very early in the morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, he left the house and went off to a solitary place where he prayed. Simon and his companions went to look for him. When they found him, they exclaimed, everyone is looking for you. Jesus replied, let us go somewhere else to the nearby villages so that I can preach there also. That is why I have come. So he traveled throughout Galilee, preaching in the synagogues and driving out demons. Picture the scene here for a minute. Hundreds of people crying out for Jesus, wanting to see Jesus move in powerful ways, wanting to hear the words of Jesus. And Jesus says, that's not my responsibility. I'm going to the next place. If you were his disciples who had come looking for him, this would have seemed like an opportunity that it was almost sinful to walk away from. Certainly God is in this. Look at the open door. Almost a, how dare you not come down to them? It's working. There's a crowd. They're clamoring to hear from you. What do you mean, no, let's walk away? But Jesus had spent time with the Father. And I believe in that time, the Father had told him, these people, this day, it's not your responsibility. I'll take care of them. I have a plan for them. Your job is to go to the next place. Jesus didn't let the weight of other people's expectations, the weight of, he, did he know they were going to be disappointed when he didn't come back into town when he walked away? Yeah, They were probably beyond disappointed. They were probably mad. But he knew this is not what the Father has called me to. This isn't my responsibility. I'm to go to the next place. And so he set it down and he walked where the Father led him. Would we be able to do that? Like Jesus understood every opportunity isn't my opportunity. 
every door that opens isn't necessarily mine to walk through. Lord, is this door for me? People are really excited or there's this opportunity to do this. And many of you know this in your families. You have more opportunities than you have time for, yes? Your kids are invited to do more things and they're all good. You are invited to this and to that. And it's all good stuff. Very few people are going, hey, do you want to come out and do drugs with us? And you're like, no, that's wrong. That's a, I shouldn't walk through that door. It's do you want to come to dinner at our house? Do you want to come over to this thing? Do you want to be a part of this? Do you want to help us lead that? And there's all of these good things, all of these open doors. Jesus, because of his relationship with his father, had the ability to say, this is a good thing, but it's not for me. This is what the Lord has called me to, and that's what I'm going to spend my time at. He set down the responsibilities that weren't his to carry, and I believe in that, found the easy yoke and the light burden. Does this make sense, church? Was that a no from David? Oh, it does. Okay. I was going to applaud your honesty. Like, just, nope. Okay. Just because a door seemed open didn't mean that it was his to step through. And the same is for us. We have more opportunities, which equal responsibilities, than we have bandwidth for, than we have time and energy for. And we have to be able to discern from the Father, which ones are you leading me into, and which ones do I need to say no to or to set down? Which ones were great last year, but this year, I need to put them down. People are going to be disappointed. Everyone else is going to be upset because you're not running at the same frantic pace that they are. But you will find rest. You will find a light yoke and an easy burden. So let me ask you, let, let's talk again for a minute. What are some of the things that we try to take responsibility for that we aren't meant to? What, what, what can it look like? What are some of those open doors or opportunities or responsibilities that culture expects us to carry, but maybe God doesn't? What could it look like? Give me an example. General people pleasing. 100% agree. Give me an example. Yeah, there's a people-pleasing culture, especially in the church, where it's your job to make everyone happy, right? It's your job to make sure that everyone has a good time and has smiled and that no one's offended. That's your job. It isn't. What else? What are some of the responsibilities we, we try to take up that maybe we weren't meant to? Try, trying to fix other people's problems. What, Miss Kitty, was that? Yeah. Just that inability to say no. Yeah. 
Sure. Sure. Not choosing the one thing I was supposed to volunteer to do. Sure. Um, if our hearts are first set on worshiping God and mm-hmm. trusting in Him, then we're free to choose a lot of different things, and it's not really our responsibility to make that the right thing. Yeah. Yeah, when, when I talk about being on the path that God has called us to, and even like Jesus going, Lord, what do you have for me today? Sometimes it, some of us are very accomplishment-oriented, and we go, okay, so God has a very specific task, and I better not miss it. There may be those days where he says, this is what I want today, you know, whatever, but for the most part, it's this is who I want you to be today. This is who I'm calling you to be today. And it's going to be more this, like she said, there's kind of these scripture sets of these confines. Okay, lying out. I'm to be truthful instead. And making some of these kinds of choices. And it's until we get that tap on the shoulder from the Lord where he goes, this is the one. The problem is most of us don't have enough margin. We've said yes to so many things that we don't even have the space to be able to think that way. Because as soon as we wake up, our day is basically already over in our head we had no time for anything. I had to do this and this and this and this and this and this. And we're all, we wake up ready to fall asleep again because I, I just, it's too much. I know I'm not going to have any time today. And that's a dangerous way for us to live. Anything else? David had shared earlier, he said obedience was a part of what it looked like to, to be yoked with Jesus and to walk with him. Obedience is our responsibility to say yes when Jesus moves us towards something in his word uh, or, or sometimes just in a very personal way. Obedience is our responsibility. The outcomes are God's domain. We think obedience and, and then I have to make everything turn out okay. That's none of my business. That's his. I'm simply to take the steps he calls me to take. It would be like Jesus going, I know I'm supposed to go to the next place, but how do I do it in a way where no one's upset? How do I make sure these people don't feel let down? He went, that's the Lord's. He told me, pick up and move. That's my job. The outcome, the how people respond is not my responsibility. And that doesn't mean Jesus was then overly mean to people because who cares about you? Like, not at all. But he didn't let that paralyze him. What if it doesn't turn out okay? He recognized that's not mine to carry. My job is simply to take the steps of obedience. Someone else was starting to share a thought. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. A, a couple things that I wrote down here that you guys have touched on some things that aren't our responsibility. The future, just in general, the future is not your responsibility. It's God's. 
We spend so much time trying to figure out how to plan and to position, and, and if that goes wrong, do I even have a backup plan? And we have to take care of the future is how we view it, and it's exhausting. The future is not your responsibility. It's God's. Your responsibility. Jesus said, who of you by worrying about tomorrow can add a single hour to your life? Each day has enough troubles of its own. Again, Jesus didn't say life was going to be easy. You're going to have enough coming at you today. If you're spending all your time worrying about what happens tomorrow, you're going to miss it. Tomorrow is God's domain. What has he called me to today? Uh, there's a, how many of you guys know the name Phil Vischer? Um, he created VeggieTales. If you've ever seen those, and we use his What's in the Bible stuff with our uh, Awana groups now. Uh, Phil, for a long time, was doing VeggieTales, and most of you, or some of you might know the story. Eventually, it went bankrupt. There was some different decisions that were made, some allegations that happened or whatever, and the whole thing went belly up. Um, had to give it away to somebody else. And there was a really dark time that came in his life after that as he was just really focusing on what the heck, God, I did what you said to do, and it didn't turn out like, like I thought it would. And, and he starts wrestling with God, and he starts coming to a, a much healthier place of going, I just want to follow you today. Just, just help me to do that. And as he started doing that, he started getting some ideas for new children's books. And so as he started writing them, at first it was just for him, because he, he had an outlet. But then some other people caught wind of it, and eventually people want to buy these books from him. And so he, he says he finds himself in these meetings uh, with the big whiteboard, and they're going, all right, let's talk five-year plan. Where do you see yourself in five years, Phil? And I love his response. He goes, that's none of my business. I'm going to follow God today, and in five years from now, I'll be exactly where he wants me to be, because every day I'm just going to follow where he leads me. Where I am five years from now is none of my business. That's his. And I loved the freedom that came from that. I don't have to worry and toil and plan. I want to be obedient today and trust that in five years, he'll have me right where he needs me to be. Other people's growth is not your responsibility, especially, and this is hard, as parents. Making your children become this kind of person is not your responsibility because here's a secret. You can't do it anyway. I don't know if you know this. They make their own choices. We can try to create, and I believe it, there is some responsibility in this, we can try to create the kind of environment where they're encouraged to become the people God has called them to be. We, the kind of environment where prayer is not some weird foreign thing. They see us praying at home. They see us in the word. We're, we're teaching them what God has taught us and some of these things. But can I make my child a Christian? No. Can I make my child make the right choices in relationships? And can I make my child mature in the way that I want them to? I truly can't. I have some responsibility. Again, have I created an environment that, that sets them up for that? There's some responsibility there. Can I make their choices for them? Can I make them grow? You can't. So many parents especially are incredibly frustrated and to the point of despair and giving up because they believe it's their responsibility to make their kids turn out this way, and you cannot do it. In fact, in Scripture, you are never told to do it. You're told to model for them, but they have to make their own choices. You cannot take on that responsibility. Other people's happiness is not your responsibility. Life offers disappointments, bumps and bruises and trouble along the way, and it's not your job to alleviate that for everyone else. It's not your responsibility. You will wear yourself out trying to make everybody happy. And we all know the saying, you can never make 100% of the people happy 100% of the time. But we go, okay, so like 98. 
your happiness is not my responsibility. I'm called to love you, to be gracious and merciful toward you. I am not called to make you happy because I can't control that. And as long as I'm trying, I'm going to be exhausted, frustrated, and give up. So why do we keep falling for it? Why do we keep trying to carry things that we weren't meant to carry? I'm sure that everything that I've talked about here, you've heard before in one way or another. Yet we keep coming back to it. We keep picking up more than we can carry. And we tell ourselves, next time I'm not going to, but then here we are again. Why do we keep picking up more than we can carry? More than we were meant to carry? Control. How so? There it is. It, it started with a very kind of Christian answer of then someone else doesn't have to worry about it because they're going to mess it up. And I can do it better than them anyway. Like, yeah. they would just listen to me because I have it figured out because I know. And here's the thing, kids, your parents do know better than you. But parents, we don't know everything. And the old saying, there's more than one way to skin a cat, stepping back and going, okay, so if they do this differently, it's fine. It, It truly is fine. But it's so hard sometimes for us to take our hands off because of control, because we don't trust that things are gonna turn out the way that we think they should. Why else? Why do we keep trying to carry what we weren't meant to? I don't know if you could see her acting chops over there, but there was some sass coming. But it it is, there's this, the enemy twists God's words. You're supposed to be a servant, are you? You can't say no to them. Wouldn't Jesus have said yes to everyone? We know clearly he didn't. But there's that guilt that we carry. Because I'm responsible to fix everyone else's problems, to make everyone happy. Because we have some stinking thinking. We don't really understand what our responsibilities are. Okay, anybody else? Yes. Making God happy is not your responsibility. There's a, a song that came out, I think, like two years ago called Gyra. And one of the first lines in it is, I wasn't holding you up, so there's nothing I can do to let you down. But we all have this thing of, like, I got to make... I got to make God proud. I got to make him happy with me. I got to. And so we work, work, work trying to, like he said, get to him when the truth is 
he's already come to us. He's already given us everything. I always say the, the enemy wins when we try to earn what we've already been given. And for so many of us, that's what's happening. We're trying to earn God's favor. And the truth is he's already given us his grace, which literally means unmerited favor. He is pleased with us, not because we're so good, but because he's so good. We've allowed our value to be tied to how much we accomplish or to what others think of us. And so, so often, our own personal value is driving this. And we couch it in all kinds of different ways, but what it really comes down to is I need to feel good enough about myself, and maybe if I do more, maybe if I say yes to more things, maybe if I do the right things, I'll finally feel valuable. Because we've missed out on the fact that he has already paid the highest price for us he has already ascribed to us the greatest value we could ever imagine. And the scripture says, while we were still his enemies, before we had ever done a single thing. But we have this idea of I have to carry more, do bigger, better, so that he'll love me, so that he'll be proud of me, so that I'll have value. Because we don't understand we've already been given it. Now we're free to go, what do you want me to do? It doesn't matter what they think of me. It doesn't matter what I accomplished today. I am valued in the sight of my king. Now, how do you want to handle today, God? There is so much freedom. Talk about a light yoke and an easy burden. I don't have to earn a single thing. It's already been given to me. But here's, I think, one of the, the biggest issues behind this problem. We don't trust him. We don't trust that what he said is true. We know in our heads that it is, but why do we keep trying to earn the value he's already given to us? Because we don't trust that he really gave it or that he'll continue to give it. Why do we keep trying to take control even from him? Because we don't trust that he's gonna do it good. We don't trust that he's gonna treat us well. We have to earn it, we have to do it, we have to take control of it. I think that, that trust and value are at the heart of this. We don't trust that he values us. And so we do more and more and we pick up more and more. We don't trust that he's able to take care of our kids even better than we are. That he loves them even more than we do. And so we step in and we take control and we're going to fix this. And we're going to make sure that they're in the right place, in the right school, with the right friends, and at the right sport, and at the right... Because only I can be trusted with my children. Instead of going, you love them even more, what are you calling us to be involved in as a family? How are you calling me to handle what just happened there? Because I'm flummoxed. <laughs> they, I can't believe they even did that. But you still love them. How are you calling me to walk with them right now? Do, do you see this? Trust and value are at the heart of this. And until we get those things figured out, we're going to continue to pick up too much, to do too much. I think one of the things that we suffer from, here in the West especially, is subtraction by addition. We just keep adding until we're not able to do anything well. We just keep saying yes until when truly the opportunity that God has for us comes along, we don't have any time, energy, or margin. We have to say no by default because I'm already so busy over here. And we find ourselves in subtraction by addition. Carrying so much, we can't carry anything particularly well. Doing so much, we can't do anything effectively. And when I say subtraction, I mean subtraction of usefulness, capacity, and effectiveness, not subtraction of value. 
We make ourselves less useful. We steal our own energy and capacity to be the people God has called us to be, to do the things he's called us to do because we're so busy doing everything else. In our culture, there, there are few things worse than wasted potential or missed opportunities. One of the worst things you can be called in American culture is lazy. And so we let the pendulum swing to the other side. We let fear and comparison drive us away from the trust and rest he's calling us to and move us into overworked and to overwhelmed. We suffer from fear of man. We ask questions like, what will others think? What if I let them down? What if I disappoint them? What if I look lazy? At the heart of all of these is, will I lose value? Will I be less valuable if other people think this about me? If I didn't do as much as they did, if I didn't, we let comparison drive us. What if they have bigger and better? Doesn't that mean they're more valuable? What if more people see them than see me? What if they get more pats on the back? What if they're more successful than me? What if their kids look better than mine? What if their house looks better than mine? We start to compare, and all this leads to is I'm not enough. I got to do more. I got to do more. I got to do more. Anytime you find yourself asking a what if question, pause for a sec. There's a chance that fear is leading you. Fear is what's behind what if. What if God drops the ball and this happens and this happens? What if I can't perform enough? Well, guess what? You can't. But we let fear and comparison drive us and we miss out on the rest that God has called us to because we are overworked and overwhelmed by life. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it and you will find rest for your souls. There is a way that brings rest if we will stop and ask. There is a good way, and God desires us to walk in it. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. All of you, take my yoke, take up my yoke and learn from me, because I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for yourselves. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. What I would like to do is give you some homework. If I can, we're not, we've been taking time the last couple weeks to kind of like, hey, we're going to take five minutes or whatever and just kind of work through this. What I want to do is some homework and it's kind of a step further than week one. Because what you put, there's, there was questions that I asked you uh, at week one and we kind of sat and, and asked the Lord these things and then we spent time praying with each other for these. Do you remember that? I want to take it a step further today and asking these same questions. What in your life is exhausting you? Where are you experiencing the pressure to perform, to get it perfect? What parts of life overwhelm you and threaten to steal your hope? What robs you of joy and replaces it with anxiety? These questions, I hope that as you, maybe two weeks ago if you were here, and if not, as you look at them now for the first time, some things come to mind and you go, man, in my parenting, I feel hopeless at times. I just feel stressed about it. My job, my, whatever it might be, as those things come up, I want you to ask a couple questions, and we're, you're, I'm going to give this to you, and you can take it home and do it this week. Who put these responsibilities on you? To start and just to, to list some of them out. In my, don't, and don't just say parenting, work. What is it about parenting? 
that is bringing out anxiety? Was it, what is it about work? What is it about uh, your uh, extended family life or your house or whatever it is? Who put those responsibilities on you? And listen, this, this is one of those questions where it feels like I'm setting you up, but truly there's no wrong answers here. At work, the responsibility's there because my boss told me that's what I have to do. Whether I like it or not, the boss said I have to do it. Okay, my, if I'm gonna be married to my spouse, here's some things I need to do because if mama ain't happy, ain't nobody happy. Or because God has called me to love and honor my wife. Both are true, but where did the responsibility come from? This was something that one day I was spending time with the Lord and I feel like the Lord told me this is what I need to be about. Like, where did the responsibility come from? Others, yourself, the Lord, whatever it might be. And here, here's, here's one of the biggest things that I want us to find from this. What are the things that you're stressed about, the responsibilities, the weights that you feel that are actually meant to be God's? I am so, like, I have anxiety about my children's future. Whose responsibility is that truly? I have so much anxiety about, but is my job going to provide? There, we live in an uncertain world with an uncertain future, and will I even have a job tomorrow? Church, whose responsibility is that? Kim gets it. God's. What are the responsibilities that I have picked up that are meant to be his? Because guess what? He is so far beyond me, I can never carry the things that he wants to carry, and I was never meant to. He has never asked me to. What he's asked me to do is to trust him. Rest comes down to trust. Why can't I find rest? Because I don't trust. Why does the, the, the yoke feel so heavy? Why is the burden so difficult? Because I don't trust him with what has always been meant to be his. I have tried to take it over, and the, the heart of idolatry is trying to be God. I have tried to take God's job and God's responsibility, and I'm exhausted. Lord, teach me to trust you in this. You say that you will walk with my children, that you love them even more than I You knew them when you were knitting them together in their mother's womb. I can't compare to that, and I don't need to. I trust you with my children's future. I trust you with my job. I trust you with my own value. I don't need to go earn. Not until we learn to trust can we truly experience rest. So what are those responsibilities that you've picked up that maybe he's calling you to set down? And man, even just with a big star next to him, what are the ones that are his responsibility? And how do you begin to lay those at his feet and go, I choose to trust you with this? Even, man, here's a great prayer. Lord, teach me to trust you with this. I know I'm supposed to, but I don't know how. So every, like every time it comes up, I'm going to stop and go, no, no, no. I choose to trust you with this. I don't have to worry about it. You are a good father. You love to give good gifts. You can be trusted with this. I don't have to keep carrying it. You cannot rest until you learn to trust. I'm going to ask the music team to come up. We're going we're gonna to end with, with singing an old hymn, I Surrender All. And as we sing that, again, maybe even, Chris, can you put some of those questions back up there for me again? As we sing that, maybe even be thinking through some of these things that maybe God has begun to put on your heart. The things that bring that anxiety, that bring that, that fear, and all those what-if questions. 
as we're singing, I surrender all, start to lay some of those down. Start to lay some of those at his feet. I want to do one exercise with you really quickly that always feels a little weird because I'm going to tell adults to use your imaginations. And that feels childish, like we should have given that up years ago, right? No. Thank you, Kim. I'm going to ask you, if you would, to close your eyes. And imagine your life filled with rest and with peace. Where you don't wake up in the morning already overwhelmed. Where you don't, you don't actually wake up earlier than you intended because the weight of your day is pressing in on you. But you wake up with peace. You wake up actually rested. Some of us don't even know what that looks like. How do we imagine that? The weight of the world is not on your shoulders. Everything doesn't depend on you. A day where, where you wake up and you recognize, I'm going to make some mistakes today. I'm going to fail today. And everyone's going to be okay. I'm going to fail today. And even if people turn and look at me and go, what was that? I'm going to be able to go, yeah, sorry about that. Drop the ball. And we're going to be okay. Imagine, like, the lightness of your heart. Your mind, like, you're actually able to think clearly. Your mind isn't racing a thousand miles a minute. Maybe you're even looking forward to the day, which some of us haven't done in a long time. I truly believe this is the kind of life that God is calling us into and has made available to us if we will learn to trust him. Not because you're going to get everything perfect in this imaginary day, but because he's good enough to fill in the gaps. He's got it all covered. And your job is simply to walk with him in the best of your ability, be the person he's called you to be today. And where you fall short, he'll carry it.